I hate waiting. I hate to wait. And I stand before you today and proudly announce, I proclaim, that I am the biggest hypocrite in the room. Because what I'm going to talk to you about today is patience. Now, waiting is defined as this, to stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. Now, contrast that with patience. Patience is defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. I don't have any of that. Not a shred, not a bit. And those of you that do have patience, tip of the hat, I admire you. I think waiting is something that we learn maybe earliest in our life. Think back. It's probably for most of us, it's Christmas. From that time that you first remember what Christmas is all about, the countdown starts about Halloween. Now, I can tell you that it's 55 days from Halloween to Christmas. So by the time you get to Thanksgiving, you're only halfway there, and it is unbearingly excruciating. You get out the calendar. Maybe you guys, maybe you had an advent calendar when you were a kid. So at least that helps a little bit. At least you can open door, the door into the advent calendar, and there's a piece of chocolate. But any, regardless, it is impossible to bear as a kid. Now, as hard as that is, waiting on something that you know when it's going to happen, it's infinitely harder waiting for something that you don't know when it's going to happen. So think about, is it going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. Is it going to happen next week? Is it going to happen next month? Is it going to happen next year? Maybe it's so far away that you can't even put a time frame on it. That is when waiting is impossible. And that is effectively when patience enters into the picture. Uh, In our house, we've only recently started practicing patience. We have a teenager in our house, which means that at any point in time, starvation is a real danger. So we spend a lot of time looking out the window, waiting for the pizza guy to come, because that's our only salvation. One other thing that we've also started to wrestle with is, did I make the team? And we're also waiting uh, by the mailbox now for test results. Maybe for you... It's different. Maybe you're waiting for a job offer. Maybe you have a loved one that's deployed in a faraway sandy land. Maybe you're waiting for medical results. But whatever it is, universally as Americans, we are horrible at waiting. Now, our grandparents, when they were around, they knew something almost intuitively that only now we're rediscovering. They knew that immediate gratification leads to diminished satisfaction. Everything in our world today is exactly about not waiting. I have to have it right now. Soon, Amazon is going to be able to deliver to me, via drone, a half gallon of Bluebell cookies and cream ice cream 10 minutes after I order it. And when that happens, I can tell you that will be a day that will live in infamy. Because the more immediate a desire is met, the less satisfying it is. And our grandparents and grandparents also knew something else too. They knew that the pain of waiting is usually less than the pain of not waiting. If they, wait, if they wanted to buy something, what did they do? They saved. They set a goal and they saved until they got there. But today, that is such an old-fashioned idea. It seems today that the biggest sins of our time, ironically, are saving and waiting. 
consumer debt continues to climb. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He has a radio show. You guys may listen to him. Dave Ramsey says, we spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't want or don't need to impress people that we don't like. In the U.S., in 2016, the average debt load, I'm not talking mortgage, I'm not talking car loans, I'm talking just credit card, $16,000 per American household. If you add that up, that's $780 billion in just 2016 alone. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm guilty, and so are you probably. If you have a credit card in your purse or in your wallet that has other than a zero balance, we're all on the same team. Tom Petty says that the waiting is the hardest part. Sometimes the waiting is the best part because it's what creates appreciation. God knows. God knows that. And maybe sometimes that's why he makes us wait. Maybe sometimes he makes us wait for years. Maybe we are not ready yet for what we think we want. I don't know. But I can tell you that for certain, God deliberately makes the hard lessons the best lessons. But even if we accept and acknowledge this, we still can't wait. We refuse to wait. We defiantly say to God, I am not going to wait. I can make a strong case that I can't wait or I won't wait is a leading contributor to sin. Uh Uh-oh, I was right. (laughs) We just had a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. And I can make a case that at least three of those have roots and I'm not going to wait. Greed. God, I know that you've given me all these blessings to teach me a heart of giving and gratitude. And that I'm supposed to give and share these blessings now. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep these. I'm not going to wait for those future blessings. I'm going to keep these and maybe I'll share those future blessings. Envy. God, I know that you are blessing others to inspire and motivate me to be better, maybe to work harder. I don't, I want what they have now. I'm not willing to wait for my future blessings. I am so entitled to what they have that if I can't have it, then I don't want them to have it either. And the big one, the big L, it rhymes with dust. I'm keeping it PG here. Lord, I know that you have someone in mind for me that's so perfect I'm not going to wait for that. I, there's a person right here, right now in front of me, and I'm going to seize this opportunity. I ain't going to wait. So that's just three. The good news is that the lack of patience is something we don't endure alone. If you look at the biggest headliners in the Bible, especially if you go back to the Old Testament, you've got your Noah, you've got your Moses, you've got your David, and the biggest of all, Abraham. Now, Abraham had a very special, unique relationship with God. In our scripture reading today, we see Abraham and his wife, Sarah, struggling mightily with patience. Genesis 15, the Lord spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? A servant in my household will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants, so one of my servants will be my heir. Verse 4, the Lord, then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, 
Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That is how many descendants you will have. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So God promises Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they're going to have a son. But as the story goes, they are already up in their years. And they are tired of waiting. God, I know that you promised that we're going to have a son, but you are not meeting our timeline here, God. And we're getting up in our years, and you, God, you are not delivering. Therefore, we're going to take matters into our own hands. So Sarah, and the ladies in the Bible always take all the heat, right? So Sarah is credited with this idea. Sarah comes up with the idea that God said they were going to have a son, but he didn't really give the details of that. His exact words were that you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And Sarah postulates that God didn't really stipulate who the birth mother would be, even though we can pretty much assume who that is. So Sarah says, I have this handmaiden, and she's considerably younger than I am, so why don't we substitute her as the surrogate mom? Now, I can tell you at Shea Howell, there are no handmaidens. I checked this morning, and there were none at our house, not a one. Uh, Furthermore, I don't know how things are at your house, but if we did have a handmaiden at our house, I can pretty much tell you that using the, the, the handmaiden as the surrogate mom would be frowned upon. <laughs> and a quick survey of the tabloids at the checkout stand at HEB will show you that even with all the scumbaggery that goes on in Hollywood, even there, those people, they also frown with these kinds of behaviors with the, the uh, handmaidens as well. So I'm being a little bit judgy here because by our standards today, this seems odd, but in Abraham's time, this sort of thing was kind of done regularly to produce an heir. So Abraham and Sarah put the plan into motion, and the handmaiden eventually produces an heir, and his name is Ishmael. Then lo and behold, God delivers on his promise, Sarah delivers a son named Isaac. So here's what we have. We have a house with two baby mamas under the same roof. And even though this was something they did back then, this still caused a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of tension in the house. And it caused a rift in Abraham's house, and those ripples still exist today. So the moral of the story is this. Abraham's relationship with God is legend. It is a unique one to all of us. But even Abraham was fallible. Abraham's story is an extreme example of what happens when you lack patience. God gave Abraham the game plan, and yet Abraham and Sarah still grew impatient, and they took matters into their own hands. Abraham and Sarah forgot, ignored, or at the very least disregarded the two pillars of patience. Now, pillar one, on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We say it every Sunday and every service. We say it to ourselves all the time. Thy will be done. Abraham forgot that no amount of scheming can undo God's will. God told him, I will give you a son, but not on your, not on your timetable, on mine. Patience. Pillar two, the other thing that Abraham and Sarah forgot, or actually what they lost, was hope. Where pillar one 
is completely within God's control, pillar two, hope, is completely in ours. Hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for something, certain, a certain thing to happen. Hope in our lexicon lately has become sort of like a, when's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? I hope so. The Christian view of hope has, has been and should be believing that something will happen even though there's a mountain of proof that says it won't. Hope has an, a very odd duality in that it is both multiplicative and divisive. On the multiplicative side, the more hope you have, the more hope you have. It's an upward trajectory. It metastasizes upon itself. Conversely, the less hope you have, the less hope you have. If you let hope start to die, it implodes on itself. When we're waiting for God, we have to seize the hope that we have. We never let it go. Nurture it. Bolster it. In the thick of hardship, hope is like sand on the beach. There may be a ton of it, but if it slips through in our hands, it doesn't do us much good. Every oncologist at MD Anderson, and any oncologist anywhere for that matter, can look through their list of patients And they can pretty well determine who is going to beat cancer and who is not, just based on who has hope. Think of every great sports comeback that you've ever seen. It's based, that team that wins, ultimately in the end, that overcomes a huge deficit, what do they rally around? Hope. So I'll close it out here and cut to the chase on patience. Here's what patience is not. It is not procrastination. Don't go home this afternoon, fellas, and tell your wife that you're, you're going to wait on the, the honey-do list until God sends an angel to help with the chores. That is not what patience is. Patience is active while waiting is passive. When we leave our house, our dogs wait by the door. They're not waiting patiently. They're just waiting. Patience is active. You have to be actively thinking about it for it to be called patience. Patience is the the ultimate litmus test of our faith. When we are waiting for God, when we're tired of waiting for God, and when we're tempted to take over from God to handle it ourselves, do this. Ask yourself this. Do I believe in God? Yeah? How much? Let that be your recalibrate button. Let that reset your timeline. God's will will always be done. Shield and grow your hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all of our blessings and blessings to be. It is going to happen. We have to remember that. And we have to believe that. I know it's going to happen no matter what the world tells me. Even when the world tells me it's not going to happen, I know that it will, Father. We're tempted to take matters in our own hands. Help us to recalibrate and reset our expectations. Your will will be done and always on your timeline. In your son's name we pray. Amen.